0: One of the many difficult Bible verses in the Bible, one of the plethora of passages that you really have to dig into in order to pull out the marrow that God the Spirit wants you to get from it, is Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The context is King David. King David wrote this psalm of repentance. But you remember the story. David's supposed to be at war. What was he doing? He's standing up on his palace. He's drinking an Arnold Palmer up there in the shade. Probably got a splash or two of whiskey in it. Based on what he was doing at the time, because what he was doing at the time was thinking about how great he is. And he looks down and he sees a woman discreetly taking a bath. She's completely out of the sight of anybody and everybody except someone who's standing on the top of the palace. All of a sudden, I'm sorry, there is no kind way of putting this, David lusts after her and he wants her body. And since no one can stop him, he takes it. And that's exactly what he did. We need to stop right there for a moment. Rape is one of the worst things any one person can do to another, period. It's one of the absolute worst things one human being can do to another. And wonderful David, hero of Sunday school stories and psalms and one of the three most important people in the Old Testament, one of the most three most important merely human beings in the Old Testament, and he raped a woman. Bathsheba conceived. David, of course, now has to cover it up, and he involved one of his generals in a scheme to murder Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Not only that, But he used Uriah to carry his own death warrant to the general Joab. Stop for a second. Imagine the scene. Uriah comes carrying this dispatch to Joab. Imagine Joab taking this and he's reading David's note and he looks up and he sees the messenger, Uriah. He looks at him. He looks at him in the eye and Joab sees one of his best soldiers who is happy to do his duty to God and king. And Joab knows what Uriah does not. Uriah just faithfully, as a good soldier, carried his own death warrant. It should take your breath away how wrong and evil everything in that story is. How many others were involved or harmed by David's lustful, covetous murder? How many wives did he have at this point? I mean, at least one of them wasn't on her period at the moment. How about the man who went and got Bathsheba to bring her to the palace? How about the guard standing at the door listening to what was going on? Now, I am sorry, this is very graphic. And it's the way the world is in its current state. More people than we're aware of were directly harmed by this heinous sin that we know. And what did David say? Against you, and you only, have I sinned. wait a minute, what? David, you're kidding me. Well, actually, he's not. David understood one very important thing. David understood that he is ultimately responsible to God. Ultimately, his sin is against God. So is yours, by the way. So is mine. Now David doesn't make light of the offense against others. He needed to repent and ask forgiveness of many for sure. And whatever that looked like, whatever it looked like for David to go and seek repentance, David needed to get right before Yahweh before he can get right before others. Whatever it might look like in your life to get right with others and Yahweh, at least part of the message, part of the point of Psalm 51 and the seventh commandment is don't dishonor your spouse. Now I realize there are three groups of people who are in front of me. The first group of you who are sitting in front of me are married. The application is simple. Don't dishonor your spouse. Period. Not complicated. The second group of you are not married, but you may be someday. That man or woman who will be your spouse is someone that you should not dishonor by your attitudes and actions now. So don't dishonor that man or woman who will someday be your spouse. And there's a third group. There's a third group here, and you're also not married, and you may never be married or be married again, nevertheless. God calls himself your husband. In fact, there are more verses in the Old Testament that take this word adultery and apply it to unfaithfulness to your heavenly spouse than those verses that merely apply it to your earthly spouse. So, there is nobody sitting in front of me or myself that this commandment doesn't apply to. There is nobody here that this message will not be for. Simply do not commit adultery. Simply do not dishonor your spouse. Also means that you must honor your heavenly spouse, whether you're married now, in the future, or never again. In fact, men, it goes one step further for us. Peter tells us, he's very crystal clear, if you do not go out of your way to understand your spouse, then God is not going to hear your prayers. You see, the heavenly husband takes it personally when we disrespect him by disrespecting our wives. Don't. Dishonor your spouse. Each one of us must realize, we need to understand, we need to comprehend in our mind that the seventh commandment applies to us. It's one of God's big ten. And each one of us will find ourselves both guilty of breaking the seventh commandment and, my friends... We will also find that each one of us has the blessing of forgiveness and mercy ready to be poured out on everyone who wants it. God the Son has taken the penalty for every single person who would trust in Him. And as we are going through this, we need to remember we have not pushed God so far away. He will not receive us if we just say, forgive O oh, Lord. And that brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea today in looking at the seventh commandment is we need to pursue our spouse by pursuing Jesus. It is, of course, in pursuing Jesus that we find forgiveness for all our sins, sexual or otherwise. It is in pursuing Jesus that we find strength to resist temptation to sin again. It is in pursuing Jesus that we will have the grace. We will have God's power at work in and through and for us to accomplish His kingdom purposes, quite apart from anything that we might do or deserve. But we'll have his grace, his power at work in us so that we can pursue our spouse by pursuing Jesus. It's in pursuing Jesus that we will have the grace we need to live Christianly in light of the seventh commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now last week, we looked at verse 13, you shall not murder, and we talked about the fact that This ought to be a no-brainer, right? This ought to be a no-brainer. Don't commit adultery. Unfortunately, that is not the culture we live in today. Today, culturally, is widely celebrated. It's just out there. It's in the air you breathe. Which is why, by the way, those of us who do trust the promises of God for us in Christ, need to continually reinforce in our hearts how ugly, detestable, and horrific adultery is. And frankly, part of that convincing ourselves might be that we just need to push some forms of entertainment away. And so we can come to a Christian understanding of this commandment, I want us to revisit a question we looked at several weeks ago. Why the law? Why the Ten Commandments in the first place? Now remember, we made kind of a big deal about this in the second sermon of this series. And we said, remember, the Ten Commandments are given to a redeemed people. Israel had come out of Egypt, they had passed through the Red Sea, they had been redeemed, and now the Lord says, you are my people already, let me give you ten commandments. Now, note that the law also serves a purpose for non-believers. For non-believers, the purpose of the law is repent, stop it, and turn to me. For us, for those of us who trust the promises of God for us in Christ, it causes us, among other things, to despair of our own abilities in terms of our relationship with God the Father. And it causes us to hope only in God the Son, because we, all of us, are sexual sinners. Note also, the Ten Commandments were not given so that we could all be nice people. Did you ever think that? Oh, you know, somebody who's really good at keeping the Ten Commandments, they're going to be a nice, you know, kind of pushover, milk toast kind of a person. Not at all. In fact, sometimes the holier someone is, the closer they are to Jesus, the more you don't want them around, because just by the way they live and act and talk and think, you're convicted. Holy people live for a person. Holy people live for our heavenly spouse. And they are careful not to commit adultery against him. Holy people do not live for their own petty little kingdom that's built on money, sex, and power. Which is the foundation stone of all the rest of the kingdoms in the world. And we learn that the Ten Commandments are an essential part of God's overall plan of redemption. The Ten Commandments display for us who God is and who we are. And they drive us to Him. So when God says, you shall not commit adultery. He's communicating, I want to have this covenant bond with you. And I don't want anything between us. And your marriage to your earthly spouse is a reflection of that. It is to be an example to the world, imperfectly although it is, of God's relationship to each and every one of his children. And we remember the big idea for the Ten Commandments. We are saved by the wood and we are taught by the stone. We are saved by the wood. Oh, my friends. We don't have to cower in fear. If you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, you don't have to cower in fear because you have been forgiven. Jesus took the penalty for you crushing the seventh commandment again and again and again. And He bore that so that when we come to this commandment, we can learn from it. And we can learn to pursue our spouse heavenly or earthly, by pursuing Jesus. Be sure you don't dishonor your spouse. And if you do, or if you are the spouse who was dishonored, then what you need to know more than anything else is that there's grace for that. It was bought for you at the cross. In Christ, because of the cross, You, my friend, are safe, and you, my friend, are loved. So, we continue, and while we continue, we must remember that we are all of us sexual sinners. We have all broken the seventh commandment. And while you remember that, remember that Christ is the solution to our sin. How is Christ the solution to this sin? First of all, he offers us forgiveness. He forgives us when we ask him to. He, secondly, offers us purity. He gives us purity of heart and of mind when we seek him. And he offers you the power to flee temptation. He offers you the power of a redeeming and cleansing and forgiving love. These are the things we will see. Christ is the solution to your sin. Christ is always the solution to your sin and mine. So turn to Jesus because He will forgive you, He will purify you, and He will help you fight the temptations you face. Turn to Him. Turn to Jesus and gain the power that He offers, that grace, God's power at work in you and through you and for you so that you can flee temptation and pursue love. Turn to Jesus so that you may pursue your spouse by pursuing Jesus. So I want to get some obvious stuff out of the way as we are looking at the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is obviously about marriage. It's about earthly marriage. In fact, it's about the fact that we should not mess up our marriage through adultery, through putting something between that covenant bond between the man and his wife. So don't dishonor your spouse. But there's more to it, obviously. And as you get through the books of Moses, what you see is that Moses unpacks it. He, he starts with the command, do not commit adultery, but he unpacks it. And for example, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, according to Moses, dishonoring your earthly and your heavenly spouse is no light matter. Oh, nobody would do that. Nobody would put someone to death for adultery. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. That, that's, just a, that's barbaric. Well, yes, it's true, we don't execute people for adultery today. We don't live in a theocratic kingdom like Israel was. But the fact that we don't is a symptom of the larger hostility towards the Ten Commandments. And in light of that, in light of this hostility that's all around us, there are a few objections to the seventh commandment I think we need to address, because this atmosphere that we swim in affects us. And the first one that we've mentioned once or twice in this series is that we need to avoid the problem of pragmatism. Pragmatism is a problem in the church. Oh, you know, don't murder because it will make society unpredictable. Don't commit adultery because it will make society unstable. Oh, that's true. That's true. But as soon as we make that the basis of whether or not we're going to keep the commandment, we are lost. Instead, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery because God commands you not to do it your heavenly spouse calls you to a much higher life. But there's another issue when considering the seventh commandment. And that is, who are we as human beings? In the last 60 years in our culture, there has been another, not the first, but another in a series of sexual revolutions And the one that we are in has brought us into a pretty profound mess. I think most people in this room would agree with that. And if we accept the molecules to man hypothesis, then this sexual revolution that we are enduring right now makes perfect sense. Why not have consensual relations with anyone that you can? And... You know, intercourse is the cheapest, easiest, best high you could get. It's the best bang for your buck. Of course you're going to do that. And frankly, everyone needs someone to hold. So, God made us as community beings. I just found the person that I wanted to hold. And we also understand the molecules-to-man hypothesis is not reality. And this is a great example of why it is not. There is always more to sex than what is on the surface. There's always more to consider. Not least of which is the confusion and mess that we find ourselves to be in. But we need to understand that God created us. And when he created us, he created us as physical and spiritual beings. And part of the reason why sex is the cheapest, biggest, best high you can get is because unlike many things, it touches both aspects of us in a profound way. In a profound way. And when we mess it up, it damages us at a, at a level that sometimes it's impossible to overcome in this world. God gives us His commands because He created us and He knows how we work and how we work Best. Which is why, if we're going to consider molecules to man, if we're going to consider Darwinian evolution, then we also must consider the hypothesis that we are created beings who have a person and we have a person, purpose, and we have a person whom we are obligated to obey. If this is true, then there is a lawgiver and one who blesses obedience. And not only that, But another reason why the molecules to man Darwinian evolution just fails in this regard is because we have a father who loves us. And this father who loves us is the one who came up with marital relations. And he made it good, he made it fun, he made it pleasant. He did it because he wanted to give us something beautiful and good. He wanted to give it to us because he wanted to show us in part, very small part, how much he loves us and how much he wants us to be happy. So listen to him. He's the one who gives it to us for joy. So listen to him. Catch your limit and go home. It really is that simple. Now we return to Scripture. Now, we also need to note something else. As with all the Ten Commandments, indeed with any law in the Bible whatsoever, we need to remember that as we look at the Ten Commandments, there is a positive side to the commandment as well as a negative side to understanding that particular law. In this case, the negative is clear. Don't sin sexually. That is, don't have intercourse with someone outside of a one man and one woman covenantal bond. Again, it's simple. The positive side is also clear. Enjoy each other sexually inside of that one man and one woman covenantal bond. Paul is very clear about this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps... I'm glad he says, perhaps. Sorry. Except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back again so that Satan, the adversary, may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now the big idea for that paragraph is enjoy covenantal, monogamous, healthy, mutual, satisfactory sex as much as possible. There you go, guys. Write that down. But let's ask a question. Let's get to the brass tacks. Let's understand how the rubber meets the road. We need to understand this word adultery. What does it mean? Now certainly it means intimate relations of a married person outside of their marriage. And, as I said a moment ago, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, you find Moses unpacking this. And as he's unpacking it, he's elaborating on it. He's developing the simple laws of the Ten Commandments because they needed to be simple. And what he unpacks it to is, oh my goodness, every conceivable sexual sin there could be, and oh, they get really gross, really fast. And if you've read the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. As I said a moment ago, God is very clear. Don't hurt yourself. Don't harm yourself. And don't dishonor your spouse by doing any number of these things. And... Adultery was used in the Old Testament. If you just look at the number of times that word is found in the Old Testament, it's used more often to refer to adultery in the marriage covenant with Yahweh than it is with the earthly spouse. Just one example, Jeremiah 3.9. Because she, and talking about all of Israel here, took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Idols. And this brings us to the point that is made by the best marriage book I've still ever read. It's Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And his big question that he asks in this book is, what if God designed marriage to make us holy as opposed to happy? Let me ask that question again. What if? What if marriage was designed to make us holy as opposed to make us happy. Oh my goodness. If we had men and women living like that, there would be no adultery. Just one quote of the many I have underlined the ultimate purpose of this book, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, the ultimate purpose of this book is not to make you love your spouse more, although I think that will happen along the way. The ultimate purpose of this book is to equip you to love your God more and to help you reflect the character of his son more precisely. Which is exactly what he's getting at. When he states it negatively, I understand. Do not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. But the point doesn't end there. The point is to be holy in the most intimate relationship you will have on this earth. In other words, the purpose of marriage, the purpose of the seventh commandment, I would say, is to make you more like Jesus. And this is a great summary of what we're talking about here. Don't commit adultery is the negative way of saying be holy in your marriage. The seventh commandment is all about holiness in marriage and therefore all about holiness in life. Because adultery is a deliberate sin. Oh, it was, it was a night of passion. No, well, maybe. But it takes sinful undisciplined thought sometimes for years before that fruit finally ripens into the actual act. Adultery is a deliberate sin. And we also know that physical adultery is far worse than mental adultery but it starts in the mind in bringing images and thoughts before your mind and then what happens is your heart decides ooh I like that and then pretty soon your hands are following suit. Whereas, setting your heart on things above, not on earthly things, considering Jesus, setting your mind on things above, will stop that system. And frankly, adultery just always denies the spiritual. It always denies the reality of the image of God in us and reduces us to the animal, to the subhuman. And now that person you're lusting after is no longer a person. It's just a body. David understood. Against you and you only have I sinned. David understood that marriage is a three-person covenant. And the person that he went before to swear his devotion to his wife is Yahweh. And therefore, he is the one David sinned against. Marriage, like every relationship, is built on trust. When trust is dead, the relationship is dead. Now, by grace, it can be born again. God the Spirit can work in us to bring death into life. But God wants to protect us from that trauma. And if there were no other reason, that would be enough to pursue your spouse by pursuing Jesus. I need to say something else. I know, because some of you have told me, and I know, because I've been in this world long enough, that there are several of you in this room who have experienced this. And you know what I'm talking about at a far deeper level than I do. Praise Jesus. I don't want to know it at that level. I want to speak to you again. There is grace. There is peace. There is hope. There is purity. And it is found in pursuing Jesus. Not another man, not another woman, in pursuing Jesus, because when you pursue Jesus, when you run after him, when you run to grab hold of him, you will find him faithful. Now, Christ is the answer to the difficulties with the seventh commandment, because only he can lead you in the paths of holiness. Now, obviously, we can't leave a discussion on any of the Ten Commandments without looking at what Jesus said. So let's look at Matthew 5, verse 27. How is Christ the answer of the problem of adultery in your body or your heart? First of all, He tells you what's at stake. And He minces no words here. This warning is to be taken seriously. It is better that you lose one of your members than that you lose your whole body and go into hell. Don't dishonor your spouse. Because the consequences can be most severe. Is forgiveness available? Yes, amen, absolutely, praise Jesus. Is it available for the man or woman who will not repent? Evidently not. So pursue your spouse by pursuing Jesus. Jesus continued, he said in verse 31, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now I've already said that Moses unpacks the word adultery in his Writings And Jesus does the same here. He goes straight to the word porneia, which is just the general word for sexual immorality. And Jesus wants you to understand what's at stake. Don't go there. Don't go there. Turn to him. He will give you the grace you need to continue to turn to him. Pursue your spouse by pursuing Jesus. Now, you remember the story of Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. He did what he should. If you're faced with sexual temptation, run. Get up. Move. Don't keep laying on your bed. Don't keep sitting in your chair. Get up. Move. It seriously is the first line of defense. The second one we learned from Job. Job used a strategy that has been interpreted as bounce your eyes. If you're tempted looking at that, look over there. Job said, how would I... How would I let my eyes do that? Don't linger. Don't struggle and think, oh, I can win. Satan, your adversary, is more persevering than you are. Ask Jesus for help. And even more effective than this, I think the true means of fighting this temptation is found in training your heart towards godliness, which is why I chose Pursue Jesus. Let me give an expanded Set of verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, to 14. Listen, listen to what Paul says. For the grace of God has appeared. God has manifested his power. And what is this power to do? What has God designed this power to be? It's bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Its power is there to give us strength to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Note what happens because God manifests His his grace. Five things that you cannot do, He now gives you the power to do. And Paul says, walk in them. Walk in them. Grace is power. Grace is power for godliness, quite apart from anything you might deserve. And grace has appeared to us. His name is Jesus. So pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. And never forget, God will always provide a way out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you could bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. First 1 Corinthians 10.13 My friends, trust Jesus Trust Him to give you the grace you need to fight the temptation. Pursue your spouse by pursuing Jesus. Lord, we need your grace. Although the command is simple, it is. Lord, we also know it is not easy because we live in a fallen world. And we desperately need you to minister to us. We need you to give us that grace that we can have so that we will be able to pursue our spouse by pursuing you. And as we come to the Lord's table, we don't stop praying. In fact, the Lord's table, if you remember, is a prayer. The men will come forward. And as we take this, as we prepare to take this, I want you to remember that this is grace incarnate. This is grace for you so that you can fight the temptations that assail. God the Father made God the Son, grace manifest to us. And He said, take, eat, this is my body, do it as often as you do it in remembrance of me. That grace, that power, is also the cleansing of forgiveness because it takes power to cleanse us. And that is also a kingdom purpose that he has given to us. And so, when we drink, we remember that grace wipes away our sins. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of him. Next week, I trust, will be a little easier to preach and here. I have some funny stories about me stealing or almost stealing things. So, be ready for that. Lord, let us trust in you. Let us trust in you for forgiveness. Let us trust in you for power to accomplish your kingdom purposes in us. And Lord, bless us this week. May we live differently than the adulterous world around us so that people will see and will say, I want to know that person's God. Be known through us, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for coming.